Hey, this is Tony Kramer, product specialist with RDO Equipment Company, and you are listening to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Every day, there are phenomenal advancements being made in the field of agriculture technology. RDO Equipment Company is a leader in agriculture equipment and precision agriculture technology and is here with industry experts bringing the latest news and information from RDO and John Deere. Thanks for joining us on the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 111, and today we are going to be talking about year two of the North Dakota State College of Science Agriculture Land Lab. Before we dive into the show, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the show on the many different podcasting apps that we are streaming this out to. It's on Apple's podcast app. We have it on Stitcher, Overcast, SoundCloud, as well as many others. While you're out there, drop us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Lastly, make sure to follow RDO Equipment Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and catch all of our latest videos on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter, at K. Now with that, let's get back to the show. I'm really excited to welcome back to the show uh, Jake Maurer, our uh, agronomist here at RDO Equipment Company, uh, covering the Midwest region. Uh, Jake has been on the show in the past. Uh, back in episode 82 and 83, we talked about uh, land, the NDSCS Land Lab Year One. We kind of gave an overcap, uh, a review of what we did out there. Jake is back on the show today to talk about Year Two and what we kind of learned and what we saw out there at the Land Lab. So. Thanks for joining us on the show again today, Jake. Uh, To get started, let's hear again a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure, Tony. Thanks again for having me back. Uh, I must not have uh, embarrassed myself too much on the first season or the first uh, year of the Land Labs. So here we're back again talking about year two. Um, So a little bit about myself. I'm uh, the Midwest Ag Agronomist, as Tony already said. Uh, I've worked for RDO now for two years. And uh, we are we're working on a, a series of, of different trials across our region now. Uh, we've expanded some of the, the projects we've done at the Land Lab in the past. We're, we're making them a little bit bigger, more robust. We're trying to uh, get a little more in-depth with things, uh, work a lot with sprayers, work a lot with lots of different pieces. And, and I think you'll find that uh, this the tale of, of the Land Lab this year the tale of even my career within RDO is, is feeling like we're finally finding that niche of where different things are and, and we're taking lessons that we've learned in the past and we're applying them moving forward. So I think you'll, you'll see a lot of those recurring themes, but that's a little bit about myself. Let's, let's just dive right in. I mean, year two. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's dive into this. So year two, year one, a lot of great outcomes. We learned a lot of lessons. Uh, If you have not listened to uh, the overview recap, go back in our uh, episodes, listen to episode 82 and 83. It was a two-part episode discussing what we did out there uh, at the Land Lab down in Wapaton, North Dakota. So now we're going to jump forward. Uh, We completed year two um, for the year of 2019. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of a lot of headaches, a lot of lessons learned. A lot of water. Yeah, a lot of water. Yes, very good point. Let's uh, let's just start out, Jake, talking about the the trials. What trials were set, and what did we do out there at the Land Lab? Yep. So as we as as you probably review from last year, uh, we had wheat on the south half of the field, and we had corn on the north half. 
this year we uh, we changed things up a little bit. We kept corn, so second year corn on the north half of the field. Second half of the or the south half of the field was soybeans, and we thought that was going to be a pretty natural fit to go from wheat to soybeans. Looking at herbicides, looking at some of those things. So um, what we had was basically. Uh, just a corn soybean look like a typical Minnesota, North Dakota, kind of, you know, Southeast North Dakota farm anyway, um, kind of your typical farmstead. Uh, so we had uh, soybeans and, and on the soybean plot, we had uh, half of it was no-till and half of it was in its second year now of, of conventional, we're con- continuing the conventional tillage on the north half of that plot. And then with the with the corn we we still had kind of that jake's acres plot in the northwest corner which just always happens to be that really tough piece uh where you can kind of go and it doesn't take much to screw that up to say the least especially when you have some drainage issues but uh uh, that was kind of the the way that the plots were laid out now in terms of the plots themselves um we had a lot of help we were working with the a team from John Deere. We we had access to some kind of new to us. Not it's not new technology by any means, but we had a split row planner. Uh, a split row planner, a 1795, 1223 split row. For those of you who are familiar with that style, basically it's a 12 row, 30 inch corn planner uh, with the uh, 15 inch inner spacings, and you can either get that in a 23 or a 24 row, where you'd have that extra gang on the outside. But we had just the ones that would fit in between those 12 rows. So we ended up with 23 rows at 15-inch row spacing. It was a 30-foot wide planter, which uh, also reviewing from last year, we had a 44-foot uh, DB planter. So big difference. Uh, we're no longer 22-inch row spacing. We're more of that kind of conventional, you know, 30, 15-inch kind of farm and and that allowed us to do some really neat things because we were dealing with a, a true exact emerge planner instead of it being a, a drill versus a, a planner. So so that gave us the ability to do some fun stuff with our soybeans. Uh, we went interspacing 1530, alternated all the way across the plot. So every pass was 30 and then 15 and then 30 and then 15. And then intermixing that with uh, some population differences. So we went 80,000 and we went with a regular 140,000 and then we bumped it up to 220,000 just to to see what some different things look like to find a see if we find any differences. And we we found some big differences across the no-till versus conventional tillage in that plot uh which we'll get to in a little bit when we talk about some of the things we learned on the corn plot. Uh it's the exact same model. Uh it was a 15 versus 30 all the way across the plot. And we also had some population changes just to shake things up. So we went with a normal uh, 35,000 population. And then, you know, for the heck of it, we bumped it to 50,000 just to see what that did. So we had 15-inch corn on 50,000 population, which you can kind of imagine what that story will look like. Um, But really, really interesting plot and having that tighter... um, planter having that even a 14 foot shorter planter gave us the ability to do a lot more passes and a lot more trials so that's how that ended up the the jake's acres plot in the northwest corner of the field uh for year two was literally kind of a precision ag planter setup demonstration so it was one of those you know tony ran the planter all the way up to then and then he kind of says all right jake here you go um 
keep her between the fence rows kind of thing. And uh, it was kind of like, well, what if I press this button? And what if I do this? And, and we, you know, it was kind of, well, what if I press this all the way? So what if we kick the, you know, downforce all the way up as far as we could go or all the way, you know, uh, down as, as far as we could go. And, and we see what some of those really aggressive differences do to the yield, to how the, the crop responds. And, uh, and then likewise, we also had, we had a little space out there. So, uh, Tony took the planter and, uh, we, we turned the turn compensation off for one round and did one really tight circle. And then he turned it on for the other and did another tight circle and didn't tell us anything about which one it was. He was the only one who knew. And it was amazing when you get out there that you can identify which had turn comp and which didn't even on a really tight turn like that so that was how the plots were set up i mean what do you think tony what what things did you kind (laughs) of yeah it and uh you painted a very good picture on what the land lab of year two looked like there jake uh essentially like you said kind of the corn and soybean mirror image we did some row spacing we did some uh population within that row spacing uh, and then we did that kind of that uh, planter setup or precision ag trial that we kind of talked about. And, and uh, also that the crop circles that we referred to them as. Uh, that was, I really thought that was cool. We, we had a hard time um, kind of quantifying the yield. Uh, obviously, uh, most people know corn doesn't like to be harvested uh, around curves. Uh, the, uh, the snouts of a corn head don't like to bend, uh, unless you run it into the ground, <laughs> but, uh, it was very visual. You could definitely see when it comes to a visual aspect. Now we had full intentions of getting out there and, um, hand pulling some ears, oh, yeah. doing some manual, uh, yield calculations on, uh, those inside and outside rows, uh, weather we'll get, we'll talk about that here very shortly. Um, it, it just didn't work out for us to get out there and do that. So, uh, that really turned into a visual plot versus, uh, quantifying it with some numbers, but it, it was very good. We, uh, you mentioned we had the opportunity to work with, uh, uh, John Deere, Scott Shadler and his team, uh, great people to work with. Uh, it was very fun to be able to work with them. Uh, utilize a planter that gave us the ability to do both 30 inch and 15 inch spacing. Uh, I know some of some some people use those planters out there. They're not uh, very they're not hugely popular here in the Red River Valley. I know you go to some of the other uh, RDO territories and you do see some of those split row planters. Uh, it was it was a very good year. We learned a lot, and that's really where I want to jump into now is. What lessons we learned, because, oh boy, there was a lot of them. Um, A lot of people know, of course, 2019 was not the best year when it came to uh, weather and just kind of environmental effects on farming. It was was tough out there. Uh, Everything from right away spring planting we didn't we didn't get this planted until what end of may yeah. beginning of june yeah i think yeah. we we planted the uh, corn i believe was like may 31st or something yeah. the last day of may right um planted the soybeans a uh, couple june 3rd i think yeah right it was into the first june. week of june yeah so it was really a tough year and, and reason being was it was wet it was very wet out there uh, we were not able to get in there last year and do any sort of uh, water management. Uh, we were hoping to do some surface drainage uh, with some surface ditches and a scraper. 
we could not get in there. Uh, it was just a, too wet uh, the fall of 2018, which then led into a very wet spring of 2019. So starting out, just kind of going through this list of lessons that we learned, Jake, tell us a little bit about some of the the roadblocks we ran into, yeah. some of the struggles we had, and things that we we were able to take back and really file away in our lessons learned drawer. Um, it, it wasn't a, a beautiful year as far as yield goes, nope. but we feel that there is a ton of value in these lessons that we learned. Right. And again, to remind everybody, the Land Lab is something that we're not looking at it to be a, a picture-perfect show plot. We're not looking to grow... Um, very, very high yields when it comes to our crops. We more so use this as a learning experience for us, for the students, and for all that are involved. So, Jake, dive into these lessons learned. Tell us a little bit about some of the struggles we had and some of the wins we had. Right. Yeah, so really, in kind of keeping with that recurring thing about lessons being learned, uh, I think the big takeaway at the end of the year, and we kind of noticed this midway through the season, um, was that there's a big difference between sympathizing with your customer or sympathizing with an experience versus empathizing. And with all of the lessons that we learned, we took that knowledge base that we thought we had and that, that kind of those emotions that we thought that we understood of our customers and of our of even the students or, or uh, within ourselves, and we, we kind of took that to that next level. And so... You know, by trying some of the things we did and learning some of the things we did, we, we're no longer just saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I understand how you feel. It's it's now a we can sit there with a cup of coffee and say, yeah, kind of a been there, done that. And it's a it's a we can it kind of takes that relationship to a different level. So here's one of the big things um, coming from Kansas. It's something that I I've had more than my fair share of experience with, but but resistant weeds. We went out there, uh, and and we we've had a, a population of water hemp over the last few years is starting to evolve. Which, uh, again, you know, kind of where I came from, that's that's uh, old news, but it's very new and up and coming in in this part of the Red River Valley, uh, where we're starting to deal with a lot of resistance that wasn't there before, um, and especially with water hemp, uh, which if I'm sure most of you know, it's it's a pigweed species it's a, a brother sister cousin whatever you want to say to the palmer amaranth to the red root pigweed to the powell amaranth uh, you can kind of go across the board with uh, with that but it's an amaranth species and the water hemp uh, has a lot of those same challenges and characteristics of of really um you know sucking or zapping the life out of your crop if you don't properly manage it and we had our fair share of that population especially with those areas that we couldn't get we couldn't get sprayed timely um, you know, we had drowned out areas that finally dried up and, you know, as most of you know, that's, those are great hot spots for, for those types of weeds. And so I think that that was where we started to see some of those differences in the no-till conditions where we had a cover crop, we, we planted green. We, we went out there, we had a cereal rye from the last fall, we planted green. Uh, we had that cover, we got it terminated right after we planted. And then, you know, we, we put down our, um, we put down our herbicide program, really simple herbicide program, very, very little residual. Um, didn't really seem like we needed it at that time. And quite honestly, with the rains we got, it wasn't going to stick very long anyway. Um, when things finally started to warm up and, and green up, 
we we still didn't have very good emergence with our beans but we ended up with a ton of ton of patches of water hemp and it was really amazing to see that weed suppression in the no-till and the tighter row spacings versus the conventional tillage and the 30 inch row spacings that's not always going to be the case um, but in certainly in the environment that we were working with in this season that's that was a big deal but Let's just say we went out there with a with a very nice exact apply sprayer, latest and greatest in technology, and we gave her a, a nice shot of, of Roundup and a nice shot of, uh, um, well, let's just say we had plenty of coverage and ended up with some weeds that more than snuck by. I mean, I don't know how long we spent pulling those weeds that escaped my, uh, my escapades of, of um, pesticide application, but... Let's just say that we definitely saw some resistance out there, and it was something that was really eye-opening when the two of us were out there pulling weeds. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. That was uh, it. Was really surprising to me. I mean, we we uh, put that tank mix together. Um, we went out there, applied it, came back a couple days later, and we <laughs> there were a few of those plants out there, a few of those weeds that we did nothing but make them angry. And uh, that is real life. That is something that. Uh, here within the RDO organization, we know that uh, our customers out there and other farmers throughout the United States and around the world, it's real life. That's what you guys are dealing with. And uh, it really, that was kind of a big takeaway for us as far as uh, one of the lessons learned is kind of a little more uh, customer and or farmer empathy. We realize what you're dealing with and we realize the the timeliness of maybe a pesticide application or really uh, getting out and scouting fields uh, as often as you need to. Um, it it opened my eyes. I was I was really blown away at uh, after that application, how many weeds uh, did escape that application, and it it really brings to light the uh, the importance or the the um, realization of of uh, pesticide resistance within some of these uh, weeds. You know, and with all of that, I mean, we we could look at all the different parts of the of the season, everything from the planning phase, and we had everything lined up. Or we we seemingly had everything lined up. We had, you know, the planter. Everything was staged. We were basically at the field edge. We were ready to get going. You know, we had we had plenty of time to sit there and analyze and overanalyze and rethink and get everything going. You know, we had the seed. Everything was staged exactly where it needed to be. And the day was ready to come where we were going to go plant. And, I mean, how many settings did we overlook? How many, how many you know, corn seeds were, were laying on top of the ground because we couldn't figure out the downforce or we couldn't get – we just couldn't get things into the ground. Or, you know, some of our populations were off. And some of the things where it's like you, you spend all that time – planning and talking and thinking and just overdoing everything to where it's finally ready to go and it's like all right let's go hit you know let's hit the go button let's shift her into gear and let's run some acres i mean how many things have we <laughs> we overlooked so many what were seemingly little things that added up to really really big parts of the equation yeah that was one of the things that i remember when we were planting uh, first off we put the planter in the ground took off and by mistake 
we were putting down, so our, our headlands, we wanted to plant at just a standard, I believe it was 35,000 seeds an acre, 32,000 seeds. Uh, by mistake, we had had the, the planting population set up at 50,000. So our first, what, 50 yards of planting at, by mistake was planted at 50,000 seeds an acre. And that, that was a simple overlook. We stopped, we, we reset the uh, planter to plant our standard population, and we took off again. Uh, one of the other things that I remember specifically was uh, when we went down to the 15-inch row spacing, right. planting the 15-inch rows, there was one seed bowl mm-hmm. that uh, we didn't get that locking nut turned um, inside that cover right. and uh, gave us issues. It gave us issues. We couldn't figure out what was going on. Why was that Why was that row unit not planting properly? And really all it took was us for to open up that uh, that door, that vacuum door, and see yep. that that seed bowl did not get locked yep. down. Again, it brings to light so many things that uh, our customers go through, the farmers out there, that you can be as planned and as ready and and, and uh, set up to go, but there's, there's a lot of things that can be overlooked. Now, Jake, I want to keep going with this conversation, but let's pause this right here. We will uh, finish back up two weeks from now, um, make this a two-part episode. There's just so much to talk about. I don't want to try to cram it into one episode. So we are going to pause here. We will catch back up with Jake again in two weeks where we will finish this conversation about some of the lessons that we learned out at the Land Lab. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the guests that we were able to get out there, out at the Land Lab, as well as give you guys a little sneak peek at what year three or the the 2020 crop season is going to look like for us out at the NDSCS Land Lab. So uh, be sure to catch us back in two weeks when we uh, finish up with this episode. Visit rdoequipment.com backslash podcast to listen to new episodes and catch up on any that you have missed. You can also listen and subscribe to our podcast on any device or streaming service.